You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. Today we're going to talk about ghost kitchens, a very on-trend topic and mostly we're going to focus on the legal aspects of ghost kitchens and what anyone who might be considering operating a ghost kitchen should know before they do so. So my guest is Brett Butterick, who is counsel in the Franchise and Hospitality Practice Group and the Litigation Practice Group at A.Y. Strauss. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for taking the time. First, let's go a little bit on your background. So how did you get interested in specializing in franchise and hospitality legal aspects? Sure, sure. Um, And pleasure to be here. Thank you for that introduction, Barbara. Um, As far as my background in in franchising, I feel like um, I, I certainly didn't set out initially to practice in franchising, to be completely honest. I didn't uh, I don't think I had any understanding that that was a subset of, of law when I first started to, to practice. Um, I was at another firm previously with a uh, current colleague, Evan Goldman, who's the chair of our franchise and hospitality practice group. Um, we got to work pretty closely together, and he just became a huge mentor, friend, and, and big impact on my life and my career. Um, and he practice pretty much exclusively in the franchising realm uh, as well as in litigation. And uh, he made a switch to the firm that we're currently at, A.Y. Strauss, and I I followed him up here. So what is it that you do for franchises exactly? So that's a, that's a great question. There's, there's, um, there's quite a bit really, there's kind of a, it's really two pronged um, when you start to get into franchising law. Uh, the first is going to be transactional. So um, franchising is regulated both at the state and federal level. Um, so you can imagine that there's just quite a bit of paperwork that goes into actually launching and maintaining a franchise system. Um, and then the second part of the that prong is is litigation. So oftentimes there's quite a bit of disputes that arise in franchising. Um, just by the nature of, of folks kind of doing business together. Uh, we we do both ends, both the transactional side and the litigation side. Um, and then I guess I should probably break down a bit further the, the transactional aspect. But um, with early stage franchisors, we help draft their franchise disclosure document, um, which is a federally regulated document overseen by the FTC. Uh, it's long, it's it's dense, it's full of a ton of legalese. Um, and then we also assist with other necessary state filings, registrations, um, really anything to, to kind of maintain and launch the system. Uh, our firm itself does corporate structuring. Um, we assist in, in some IP work as well, basically kind of anything to, to really get the system off the ground. So it's kind of setting the foundation. Right, exactly. Yep. And then with I guess with the later stage clients, there's just a lot of maintenance and upkeep on the transactional side. Um, each year, franchisors have to renew their FDD. This is the franchise disclosure document. Um, and in general, it, it, for most franchisors, that that's actually 
uh, in 14 days from now, two weeks from today, April 30th is the deadline to do that. Um, so this is kind of crunch time for a lot of those folks. Just kind of like paying their taxes and then the franchise thing has to be done as well. Yep. Yeah. Fortunately, the franchise thing, well, I guess taxes tend to be planned out far in advance too, but but usually we try and um, circulate and get the data that we need from most of our franchise or clients um, starting in November. So it, it's kind of quite a bit for them to round up the information on on sales and changes in the brand system that we have to apply to uh, the franchise disclosure document or make any changes to their franchise agreement. And did you notice any changes due to the pandemic with any of your clients? So certainly last year, um, actually, the stay-at-home orders really went into effect during the thick of our renewal season, um, which a lot of state agencies extended the renewal season into June and in some cases into July. Um, and even even beyond that, um, some franchisors that otherwise would have renewed in certain states just didn't because they knew that they weren't going to be selling in 2020. Um, largely, we've seen a big turnaround in that just by growth of a lot of the systems. I think folks are, are finding their footing again. Um, and certainly a lot of brands really took that lull as an opportunity to either reinvent themselves or shift focus in their system, um, which was very smart, frankly, during the pandemic and has kind of positioned a lot of folks quite nicely for growth in 2021 and 2022. So one of these things that people have done, you know, to pivot and kind of position themselves better is look into the ghost uh, slash virtual kitchen format. So can you kind of just give us a broad overview of where we are, what the ghost kitchen virtual kitchen is? Sure. So I think, you know, if, if we had this conversation four years ago, um, I think our, our discussions would be significantly different. I think our outlook and view on ghost kitchens generally would, would, um, you know, not be as, as rosy optimistic or, or, um, you know, interested in the concept itself. I think, uh, that has, shifted significantly with a few factors. Um, so I think definitely the pandemic accelerated the trend, but I think the trend was really growing long before that. Um, mostly, I think there are really two big factors that played into that uh, growth of, of the ghost kitchen concept. And one certainly was the increase in acceptance and, and use of third-party delivery apps um, like Grubhub and Uber Eats and Caviar. Um, and two, and, and I think they're related really, was the increase in, in social media marketing for brands. Um, we've really kind of seen a lot of brands develop that had a big, big social media following and maybe not necessarily the resources to launch, um, ghost kitchens provide an opportunity to really expand a brand or, or get a product in front of customers that they otherwise couldn't, um, just with, with lower resources. So, yeah, I think um, within the past few years, it's really the concept itself has really kind of increased, and I think the pandemic certainly helped drive that a lot. And now we're really seeing 
big brands enter into the space too. Um, Fat Brands, which has a number of different concepts under its belt, um, is really, really heavily involved in expanding through through ghost kitchens. Um, same thing with with Dickies and Salad Works and a few other brands that um, are really kind of leveraging the concept to to actually grow out major, major chains. Um, so it's not just the small players that um, are using it as an opportunity to really launch themselves, but it's also now being legitimized uh, and 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 pushed forward by big brands as well. So if I'm someone, you know, who's considering starting a ghost kitchen, you know, what are the legal steps that I need to take? So they're really, um, I'd say there are probably three main considerations in launching a ghost kitchen. Um, one is entity formation. That's an easy one. Uh, two is, is finding the space that you're going to operate out of. And three would be actually selling your products or services. And I'll also lump expansion into that bucket as well. Um, so again, forming the entity is, is, is quite easy. Um, generally, we, we advise kind of a, a strategy of using a closely held corporation, especially for, or a corp, I'm sorry, a, a closely held entity for initial launch. Um, and in general, we, we usually will say an LLC is probably the best bet for that. It's a flow through entity. Um, so a lot of the tax implications are, are very, um, standard. They're easy to deal with, but there's still a shield of liability between the individual and the actual business. Um, so we'll set that, that piece aside. Finding the space is, is really kind of the key aspect of ghost kitchens excuse me, in general, um, when, and I, I think this kind of breaks down on a few different planes as well. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of three ways that you could work out of a space for a ghost kitchen. One would be really the classic model of a shared, true shared space or a pop-up in another business's, uh, environment. The second would be operating out of something like a, a true commercial kitchen or a commissary, uh, or uh, there's a brand called Cloud Kitchens that focuses kind of exclusively on providing commissaries or, or kitchens for this very specific sort of concept. Uh, and then the third possibility for finding a space and operating out of a space is really a turnkey solution. Um, and that's going to look like, uh, like combo kitchen, um, which is, a, it's actually a client of ours, so a slight plug for them. Um, and, uh, reef technology, things where, where you can actually put your brand into another system and they essentially do all of the preparation, marketing and everything just to, to push it out. Um, so, so the three, ways that that kind of breaks down how you could actually launch uh i hate to do this breakdown a bit further too um with that that true shared space if you're actually operating in somebody else's business um that tends to to be very very beneficial um but also raises a few different questions that the ghost kitchen operator should really be 
considering and have in the back of their mind. Um, so I say it's beneficial because generally these sorts of agreements can be negotiated very, very nicely in favor of the ghost kitchen. Um, and we've seen a lot of folks do kind of a percentage of gross sales for to cover kind of everything from um, rent, utilities, equipment usage, the whole nine yards to actually operate in a space just based on a percentage of that person's gross revenue cap. So it, it, it can be a really, really great model to, again, launch light. Um, the issue is those sorts of sub-tenancy agreements tend to be a bit more I have a bit more meat on the bones and also, again, they have to be a bit more negotiated. So it's important that if, if that's the route that the ghost kitchen ends up going, it's certainly probably best to have something like that reviewed um, just to make sure that all of the protections are in place for the actual ghost kitchen business itself. And with respect to the other two, they tend to be, I guess, a bit easier in the sense that they they generally will just kind of deal with contracts. So a commissary space is just um, the business contracting with the actual commissary or or cloud kitchen. Uh, and then the same is, is pretty much true of any turnkey solution as well. So why why is it so important for you know restaurateurs to take the appropriate steps before embarking upon this? So building the proper foundation, I think, in any business is, is really critical. Um, but I, I think it probably plays in even more with respect to ghost kitchens. Um, I think be- largely because a lot of these brands tend to grow rather quickly. Um, again, if there's, if there's really kind of low overhead and a brand can easily, quickly, and properly market itself, it can be very easy to move from one light launch to another light launch. Um, And just knowing the right methods of expansion, uh, be it by licensing trademarks and trade secrets or operating under franchise agreements, um, or frankly, any other mode of, of actually expanding the system, making sure that that proper foundation is there is critical because you can't really take step two without taking step one. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of issues like being sued, food safety, those sort of things that, um, you know, you need to know who, who are the proper parties that these things should be, um, connected to. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, that brings up a great point with respect to, um, some of the, I guess, finer points like licensing, um, if proper licenses aren't obtained to actually either launch or maintain the, the business, um, even if it's just a small one-shop operation, there's a huge problem if your business is either fined significantly for not having proper licensing um, or if the city comes in and, and shuts a business down. Um, you know, you you can't expand if you don't have uh, business open and operating. So what are some of the issues regarding leases that ghost kitchens face? So that'll, that'll really kind of boil back down 
into the method of how they want to launch. Um, again, if they're looking to operate in, I guess I'll call it the traditional sense of, of maybe having a pop-up in another business, um, this is really where you're going to see lease issues come up. And it tends to be very, very important because you're going to deal with what's called a, a subtenant lease or a sublease. Um, the ghost kitchen wouldn't actually be the, the true tenant. Um, in some instances, maybe they, they would if they're just operating uh, under a landlord and, and not offering dine-in service. They technically would probably still be considered a, a ghost kitchen. But in general, a lot of these agreements tend to be structured as um, sub-tenancies because it, it just tends to be keep cheaper to, to actually launch the system in somebody else's location and make use of equipment that's already there. Um, and if that's the case, a lot of times subtenancy or sub subleases are, are drafted by the current tenants party and in their favor, frankly. Um, so just making sure that the right provisions are in the lease to protect the ghost kitchen is very, very important. Um, again, there, there are benefits and potential good negotiation points to that sort of agreement. Um, but ensuring that the ghost kitchen isn't responsible for more than they otherwise should be is very, very important. So one of the other things, ghost kitchens are, you know, fairly new to the to the marketplace. Um, so the governments haven't necessarily caught up yet with the legalities and putting all of these things in place yet. So how should operators work with local governments to ensure that they have all the proper permits and everything that they need in place to operate. Yeah, so so permitting can be really tricky and that's true in I think the traditional brick and mortar sense um but certainly as you mentioned Barbara in the ghost kitchen sense because a lot of what we're seeing is still developing it's still new um it's still untested but a lot of the same existing general framework does overlap nicely so um, these businesses will still be subject to a lot of the same um, biz general business operation permitting, alcohol sale permitting, um, health, food, and safety standards permitting for that. So in general, a lot of jurisdictions have very, very helpful offices and services that um, folks, whether they're look, looking to launch a brick and mortar location or uh, a ghost kitchen, can can reach out to and just make sure that they are in compliance with local uh, permitting and regulation. Um, and again, it's critical that that's done before the launch of the business because, as we talked about before, it's it's very very possible that if it's not done. Um, at some point, the city will catch up to you with either a fine uh, or worse, closing the business down. Well, I think a lot of people are seeing, you know, the potential for a virtual brand. You know, I don't need to have a brick and mortar if I have a concept, if I'm maybe tied to an Instagram influencer or someone who could help me out on social media that I can ramp up pretty quickly. But um you know, you still need to have all of those legal, uh, 
you know, cross your I's and dot your T's done before you, you know, you can't just, you know, let's put on a show and, and put out the food tomorrow. Right. Right. No, exactly. Um, and I think that really plays back into the considerations again of, of how the brand is looking to launch because, you know, sure. It's, it's, as you said, it's certainly easy to kind of pair with a social media influencer. Um, and if you have a great product, you have a great product, but the bottom line is how are you going to get it to market? And if you're going to get it to market through kind of the more traditional sense of operating a ghost kitchen, you're you're going to have to be in a kitchen somewhere, whether it's a, a commissary or if you're operating out of somebody else's building or if you're actually leasing a building. Um, those considerations as far as entering into those agreements are, are critical, again, because lease structures just tend to breed um, in some instances issues with with tenants or uh, landlords depending on if you're in a, a subtenant or landlord relationship um, and then again per, you know permitting and licensing is just it's it's a potentially risky game to actually go out there and, and operate without actually knowing what's on the table because again I mean you're potentially subjecting your brand to a, a very rocky and rough start if you're not complying with the proper rules and regulations. So what do you see as, as next for ghost kitchens, you know, particularly as we're moving toward a restaurant recovery where we're expecting to see a pent up demand where people will want to go out and dine? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the concept. I believe it's really doing a great deal to democratize the restaurant industry. Um, we're seeing a lot of folks that may not have the same capital that restaurant groups or restaurant tours have um, establish their own their own brands and enter into a space, carve out a name for themselves and expand. Um, I think it's a terrific opportunity for folks with a great idea and a great product and a great following to really launch their business and um, I think that that plays back into expansion as well. Um, and some of the considerations for expansion, uh, trademark and licensing, um, and making sure that they're on their proper footing. But again, these tend to be very, very, ghost kitchens tend to be very, very good methods to really put a product to market um, and expand it cheaply, quickly, and, and easily. Um, so I, I definitely think that the market is, is certainly hot right now. Um, and I think that some of the heat may wear down a bit as we return to, to kind of a normal economy, um, which I don't know if, I don't know if or when we could say that that will be. Um, but I, I think that it's certainly a game changer and I think that it's here to stay given all of the benefits of it. What do you think that people will have gotten adjusted to it? And the, you know, the, um, the newness of a new brand and the, the buzz of wanting to try it will continue. Right, right. I, so, yeah, I, I think that, I think that that 
coupled with um, the ease of delivery options and, and online ordering options, coupled with, and I think you made a great point before, Barbara, which is, um, is social media is really kind of a game changer in this, in that a lot of folks that have a significant social media following um, already have their products at least eyed before, in some cases, several hundred thousand people. Um, and that means that that's several hundred thousand people that they don't otherwise have to market to either to purchase their products or, um, in our world in, in franchising expand via franchising. So somebody may see, um, a concept launch as a ghost kitchen and then say, Hey, um, you know, I, I, I've had my eye on your, your food for quite a while. I think it looks great. Um, I live in your area. I had a chance to try it and I loved it. And I saw that you did this ghost kitchen concept. I'd love to do the same thing. Um, so that ease of being before a significant number of people um, can really help expand the concept generally just because it's it's already out there right? Um, people are familiar with it. And entering into the space is very, very cheap. It's quick and it's easy. Perfect. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me.